You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Today, now, as we jump back into this amazing book of 1 Peter, uh, if you remember this book, this letter was written to struggling Christians, Christians in Asia Minor who were facing mounting persecution. It was a terrible time in history, and history tells us that it only things were only going to be getting worse, and things did get worse. In fact, things intensified and became more brutal for the church and for believers in the years ahead. In fact, Peter, who wrote this book, Peter, the disciple of Jesus himself, he was crucified for his faith in Jesus Christ a few years after writing this letter. And so this letter of 1 Peter is a powerful reminder as as there are reminders and encouragements and, and we are taught and given instruction on how to suffer as God's children, how to face suffering and how to be found faithful, how to be faithful in the midst of it. And so today we are going to be reading one verse. We're only going to make it through one verse today. And we're going to use this verse as a springboard to look at, to consider, and to examine God's Word in light of what is happening around us today, in light of what it says here in 1 Peter chapter 4. We have to take this verse to heart today, and then we need to look at how we can apply God's Word, what's happening in our world today, and how we can then apply it to our lives personally, individually, how it applies to us as families, to our church, to our involvements, to our commitments to our region, and to our nation. And there's going to be many scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. And so it might seem a little bit today like a good old-fashioned sword drill. Those of you who grew up in, in, in Sunday school or went to, to some sort of a camp in the summer and you'd have your Bibles and you put, you're not supposed to have your finger in your Bible, hold up your Bible and the reference would be given. We're going to have lots of references. And so I encourage you to be ready to, to turn to those passages. But have pens, paper, notebook handy and write down these references. I encourage you to be doing some study this week as well as a lot of these are important important verses that we need to be paying attention to as God's people. And I trust that this week there will be some robust discussions in our small groups as, as you continue on in, in, in some deeper study of the passage here today. Now, the first part of 1 Peter, just a little recap, and I trust that many of you, as you were instructed on the online lobby this weekend, as well as in the e-news, to be reading the last number of chapters, the first four chapters, to kind of get caught up to speed and remember what's going on in this awesome book. And, And the first part deals with our wonderful salvation that we have in Christ, that that salvation that is offered to all who sincerely will call upon the name of the Lord, call upon him as their Lord and their Savior, confessing and turning from sin. And the salvation that we have, and if you even look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, just listen to this. I want to read this because it's so awesome. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. There's something waiting for you on the other side. And it's amazing. What is it? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, 
that perishes through it, it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's a loaded passage, and we preached on that a number of months ago. And as you continue to keep reading through this awesome letter, we see the beauty of this salvation and how our salvation, how the life of Christ is to manifest itself in our lives daily, in our households, in our workplace, in our attitude and our responsibility to those governing over us. But today we are in chapter 4, verse 7. One verse in chapter 4, verse 7. I encourage you to look at this in your Bibles. So, so eyes down, taking a look at your Bibles, have them open, and it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, one thing when you're studying a passage, it is sometimes often encouraged to take a look and see what some other translations put in it, just because it helps you to gain a good understanding and perspective of of it. Look at the King James Version. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Or the New Living Translation says it like this, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And then you have the Amplified Version. Now, the Amplified Version, it takes and amplifies the meaning and the words with the desire to bring a greater meaning to the text. So that just kind of gives a little understanding of the Amplified Version, and here it is on the screen. The end and culmination of all things is near. Therefore, be sound-minded and self-controlled for the purpose of prayer. Staying balanced and focused on the things of God so that your communication will be clear. Reasonable, specific, and pleasing to him. <laughs> now, that's, that short verse made a little bit longer. And, um, and, and the interesting thing is, is if you are doing the Bible in a, re, in, in a one-year plan uh, kind of thing, either you need to double your time reading if you're going to use the Amplified, or it's going to take you two years to work through the Word of God. But it is a great study resource. But then once again, just back to the ESV and and to our our text here again. Just want to read it again. Just get it through our heads. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, here in this text, we we see, and and this is important, encourage you to write this down because this is a theme we're going to keep visiting this morning over and over and over again, and I trust this becomes part of our DNA. This is who we are as, 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 as followers of Christ, that we would have a growing sense of urgency, alertness, and prayer. Write those down. Urgency, alertness, and prayer. This is an important theme. Urgency has to do with the will. Alertness has to do with the mind. Our mind being focused. Our mind being able to understand and comprehend what's going on. And prayer has to do with our soul. Because it's prayer is where our ultimate help then comes from. As we go to God for all things in this. And you see, there's a great danger, and if we're not careful, a great danger that complacency can set into our lives, and it's happening. It happens all the time, and we've got to be so aware of this. This is why there's this urgency and this alertness that we need to have about us. It's kind of like the frog in the kettle syndrome, where we can easily, so easily get enticed and lulled by the spirit of this age that is so deceiving and so makes sin and makes things look so attractive, and even things that aren't necessarily bad to make them attractive and so good, but it just lessens our passion and our desire for Christ. And here we see this urgency as Peter is saying, the urgency, the end of all things is near. 
You see, everything necessary for history to come to an end has already happened. It's already happened. The Messiah has come as promised. He has lived as promised. He would. And he has died as promised in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He's been resurrected as 1 Peter 3.21 talks about. He's ascended back to the Father where he now reigns over the universe, 1 Peter 3.22, and is right now ready at any given time to return and to come and to judge all those who have ever lived, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 5, things that we've covered. And so, long, and, and, and so along with all the other New Testament writers who've written about this, Peter affirms right here that we are living in the last days. But you think, but he wrote this 2,000 years ago. So he's telling us 2,000 years ago that the end of all things is near. Now, I'm sure that when uh, we may hear something like this, when somebody, when you hear this statement, the end is near, the end is near, repent, the end is near, there's certain images that may pop into our minds, and quite possibly it's someone that looks a little bit like this. Uh, quite possibly an older man with kind of a crazy, crazy look on his face and often long hair in a robe and what is it, the end is near and gives the different dates, you know. And, and, uh, or, uh, you know, always portrayed as somebody maybe being a little t- out of touch with society and, and that. And here's another one, uh, the end is near and uh, someone else standing there. And so, yes, a little comical uh, kind of thing. And, and so oftentimes we kind of think just a crazy person with a sign, the end is near. And yet God's word promises to us that the world as we know it, it will come to an end. And God wants us to live influenced and motivated by this truth. We need to be living in light of Christ's return. We need to be living in light that we are living in the end, day, in the end times. But it's been 2,000 years, Melton. Come on. Is he really, really, really going to come back? At any time, or depending on your eschatology, or in the next seven to eight years, yes, yes, he is. And and it's been two thousand years. It's true since Peter wrote this, but that span of time seems extremely long to you and to me. Two thousand years, but we see we see history in terms of days, well. Hours and, and, and days and weeks and months and years and decades, but God sees history differently. God sees history in terms of, of the events centered around His Son, His first and His second coming. And we are in that final chapter of human history. And yet, Peter, he knew there were going to be skeptics and scoffers. Listen to what he writes in his second letter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, you can just listen to this, write down this reference, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, Peter says this, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Ho-di-hum, hum ho di hum you know, he's... Where is he? He's not coming. They've been saying that for centuries now. 
And yet, here's why it's taking so long. If you look down at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, and it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. He is patient towards you and to me, not wishing that anyone would perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Folks, Loved ones, listen up. This is so important. I believe we need to wake up. We need to sober up. These are incredible days. And what's going on in the news, in politics, in economics, in social media, in, in, in the censorship we're even seeing, and, and just some dangerous, dangerous precedents that are being set, there is a great reason that we all need to be a lot more watchful than we are. We need to wake up. Things are changing. Or things already have changed, and we must not be sleeping. Wake up. And if you trust and have your life and your confidence in Christ, that's amazing. But if it is not in Christ, you ought to be fearful. You ought to be trembling. You, never, you need to be concerned. And, and, and I remember years ago, I was probably, I don't know if I was 10, 12, somewhere in there, we were on the farm as our family in the summer. We'd spend a lot of time on the family farm, a grain farm in southern Saskatchewan. And I remember one night, the northern lights were out. And they were amazing. They, they formed this cone kind of uh, over our farmhouse. And it was amazing, just the lights and, and, and up above. It was just amazing. So we were all out and we were laying on the grass staring at the northern lights. And then my mom said it. She said, what if Jesus returned right now through that cone? And, and, and she said, wouldn't that be awesome? And I'm like... No, no, that can't happen. And, and I ran, I remember, I ran to the outhouse and, and, and it wasn't too far. And, and it was a two-seater, uh, side by side, not, not a double-decker. Uh, very thankful for that. But I set to praying. And I'm telling you, I was praying and I was like, oh no, I don't know if he's gonna come. God, I hope I'm ready. I hope I'm ready because if you break the sky, I don't know where I'm at. But today, if you have your trust, your hope, your life, your confidence in Christ, we have no reason to fear. If your life has been surrendered, surrendered to Jesus as Brett was leading us in worship earlier, that we are able to continue to keep coming to Jesus and, and surrendering ourselves to him, saying, Lord, I'm yours. We have nothing to fear. Psalm 46 verse 1 tells us God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in times of trouble. And so even in end times, and some of the things you read about, and some of the things that are happening, and some of the things that could, could start to take place even here in Canada, in North America, it says, therefore we won't fear. We won't fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. You know, even on the way here today, I was singing and, and, and just bellowing out, it out on my way here. That, that, that old familiar song that some of you would know. What have I to dread? What do I have fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning on Jesus. Leaning on Jesus. Safe and secure from all alarms. I trust and I hope that is your prayer and you would be able to say that with confidence today. And if not... You need to get right with the Lord. You need to examine your heart. You need to surrender your life, either for the first time or once again in a fresh way because you're wandering and you're asleep. 
wake up. And today, we will be looking at at, at many different scriptures that inform and remind. It's God's word to us, God's warning, God's wake-up call to us. And and, and there's a call for us to, to adopt and to live each one of us, with a greater sense of urgency, alertness, and prayer. And I trust that that will be happening today in a greater way in all of our lives. But first of all, let's start by looking at the promise, the promise of his return. And and, and we see in in one of these occasions in in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And it says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So Jesus with his disciples, and he, he, he starts to ascend up into heaven. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, and, and I can just imagine, have you ever kind of lost or let go of a helium balloon, and, and, and you let it go, and you just kind of keep watching, and just watching until it's gone, until you can't see it anymore? That's what the disciples must have been doing. They were just watching. They were just like watching as he ascends up into heaven and, and, and he's now gone. And, and, and all of a sudden, it says, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I was like, well, Jesus just went up there. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Promise given. There it is. There's the promise. He will one day come. In the way that he ascended, he will one day come back. The promise will be fulfilled. It will happen. Zechariah 14, written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth even. We are, and there it, it talks about the Messiah, and it talks that Messiah will one day return to that same place, to the Mount of Olives, and he, and, and, and he will return, and just as his feet left there on that day that he ascended up into heaven, one day he's going to descend and his feet will hit that mountain once again. But he won't come as Savior this time. He will come as judge. Another promise that we see, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. I hope you're writing these down and that you're going to look them up this week. And it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and, the, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with the these words, promise given. Another promise given in John chapter 14. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus says. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to be with myself, that where I am, you may be also." These words are meant to encourage, to inspire, and to give us great hope that Jesus will one day return, that he is preparing a place for his children in heaven one day. And yet, there is so much confusion, so many questions, so many views, so many opinions about this eschatology, about this end times doctrine. And, and there's so many events and terminology and, and, and various things, and you know, whether rapture, pre Mid, post tribulation, pre, post, a millennialism. There is the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the seals, the seven seals, the war of Armageddon, the great white throne judgment, the um, heaven, hell, marriage supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of these different things that we see, and, there, and so much more that make up this eschatology, be the the doctrine of end times. 
And at some point, it would be so good for, for us as a church to do a deeper dive into this, uh, whether it's an end times sermon series or a special class that we would be able to have where we could just come together and learn and, and be, you know, just, just have a greater understanding of this, to be informed so we can be watching and waiting and preparing and, 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 and preparing others for this great event to be ready for Christ's return. But we can get so caught up at times with so many views. And yet, listen to this, yet with so many views that exist about end times, and there's people all over the place in this, yet we all pray the same prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. That's our desire. Come, Lord Jesus. There may be disagreements on the details, but we long, we long, we long to see Jesus. What a day that will be. You see, the reality is we are living in very sobering days, and we are seeing all around us, full-scale, worldwide abandonment of biblical truth and morality. Yes, it's happening in society. Yes, it's happening in the culture around us. But it's happening within the churches as well, in the church of Jesus Christ. It's actually a sad reality that, that we were asked to vacate our office location on Gordon Drive so that a church that endorses homosexuality and same-sex marriage can move in and take our place. It's sad. And it's not just in mainline churches. This drift is happening in once strong, solid, God's word proclaiming churches and denominations. But now there's a diluting, a doubting, a denying, a defying of God's word. A.W. Tozer said this, and he said this decades ago. And today, I believe, if he saw the state of the church today, sometimes they say a person could roll over in their grave. If he understood this, and the kind of man that I understood that A.W. Tozer would be, he'd be like a rotisserie. He'd just be turning like crazy because of the, the state of the church. And he said this, in many churches, Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it wouldn't hurt anyone, and if it were medicine, it wouldn't cure anyone. That's happening. It's happening all over. A lot of feel good. Tickle the ears. Make me feel, f- feel happy and, 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 and how I can be healthy and, and how I can be wealthy. And, and you see, there's consequences to all of this, folks to abandon God's word, to abandon his standard, to, aban- to, get, to, 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 uh, to uh, get rid of his, his standard of right and wrong brings an instability to, to your life. Any one of us, we abandon God's word in one area, in another area, and it starts to become, it, there, it brings an instability, an insecurity to our lives, to our family, to our society. And the further we move away, the greater the instability and the chaos becomes. And that's happening. It's happening. And how we are to be, we're to wake up. And we are to be watchful. Jesus warns as he described the condition of the world in the last days. He tells this in Luke chapter 17, and, and it says in verse 26, It says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
Jesus is referring to what took place in, in the days of Noah, and then he also continues on there in Luke 17, and he talks about the day of Lot. When you look back at what was going on in those days, they were dark days. They were evil days. And the Bible tells us that people in those days were giving themselves over to evil imaginations, to sexual immorality, to unnatural relationships. Incredible widespread violence was commonplace in those days. Is that not happening today? You better believe it's happening today. I mean, you can't watch a show or a movie or a commercial, it seems, without an agenda or an alternate lifestyle attached to it. And how we are just being so inundated with that, where, where, where sin is just, is just at, at the drop of your fingers on the screen that you can look at. How we need to be so careful what we are allowing into our eye and ear gates. Such rampant evil, and it does have an effect on us. We can't be fooling ourselves that it won't affect us, that it won't affect our family members. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. We reap what we sow, and so will our kids. So will our grandkids. It's so easy, though, to become desensitized. Even with our own standard of personal holiness and obedience to God's word, well, I think I can do this. Well, I think this. Well, God's word says this, but. And how often can we do that? And all throughout history, something has and will happen when society goes like this. It, it, it's, it's a sure thing. And when things are trending so strongly in the wrong direction, here is what ends up happening. Either there is repentance that leads to revival, or there is judgment that falls. Just look at the Old Testament and see what happens. There's repentance or revival or judgment comes upon God's people upon the nations. But the next judgment that is to come is the return of Christ, which will be glorious for some and devastating for many. And there are some very real warning signs. I encourage you to write down these warning signs that we see in God's Word. Some very real ones, and, and, and we're going to look at a few of them here today. There's, there's some warning signs um, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and, and, and these words will be on the screen starts in verse 1. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Oh, just stop right there. Is that not happening today? Aren't those some of the greatest, biggest loves in our lives? The love of self, the love of money. There is such a preoccupation, preoccupation uh, and, and, and a driving theme in our lives today of all of this selfies, self-love, look-at-me culture, I'm wonderful, you are awesome, celebrate me, let's celebrate you kind of culture. Rather than finding our identity and our acceptance in Christ and finding our approval in God himself, we look to it, look for it from others by status, by accomplishments. And look how it continues on there in 2 Timothy. It says, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. I mean, pride and arrogance, they're such killers, folks. 
We need to be aware. The boasting and bragging, boasting and bragging used to be seen as a bad thing. You just didn't do that. You were looked down upon if you did that. Now, trash talking, tweeting, look at me, bragging is celebrated in our culture, in sports, in society, in so many different ways. Look, it continues, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says here, avoid such people. This describes the abandonment of biblical morality. And it, it, this is happening full scale today. Oh, how we need this sense of urgency and alertness and prayer. Matthew 24 Jesus describes it. We get some more warnings here. We get some more warnings of his return. And Jesus answered them, it says in, in verse 4 of Matthew 24, See to it that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war, so that you are not alarmed for this, that this must take place, but the end is not yet. For the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. False teachers, yeah, happening, leading people astray, happening big time these days. Wars and rumors of war. Nation against nation. But then notice it says in there, kingdom against kingdom. This is civil war. This is war. This is the fighting for control within the, the, the walls of a country. Look at what's happening, the rioting in the United States in the past year. George Steffen, George and Jeanette uh, moved back to Saskatoon. How did you enjoy that minus 35, minus 46 wind chill this past week, George and Jeanette? I don't know why you guys moved. We miss you guys. But George, is, is, um, he sent me this uh, little newspaper, I, little article, uh, little uh, newsletter. Yeah, George, thanks. I got it. I read it. Thank you for this. This is a great little newsletter that, that just gives some very interesting in, insights, documenting, reporting things that are happening in our world and how these things that are happening in the world are lining up with biblical prophecy. It's fascinating to be able to read the world events with a biblical lens from politics to economics to things happening even in religion and what God's word has to say about that. This newsletter also documents the increasing natural disasters that are happening around the world. You say, yes, but natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, hail, all of these famines, all of these things have happened all throughout history. Yes, that's right, that's true. But even as this newsletter documents how all of these are being accelerated in greater ways. And what Jesus was saying here in, in Matthew 24 is that as his return gets closer, these problems, these pestilence, these earthquakes, the famines, the natural disasters, call them birth, birth pains or contractions, are like that of a baby that is about to be born. First of all, the contractions are, are, are far apart, but then they become greater and greater with more intensity. That's happening. Loved ones, these days require us to have clean, clear minds, pure hearts, Re require us to be strong, to be vigilant in what we're seeing, making sure our life and our doctrine are, are, are in, in step and keeping, just quick, just going through the spiritual motions. We've got to get serious. Our nation has turned away from God. And are we praying? Are we seeking God about this? 
We have rejected God's word and his ways. Like ancient Israel, who sacrificed their children on pagan altars to try to fit in with the culture. We are aborting millions upon millions of children every year. 42 million babies, human lives, were murdered in 2020. And already in 2021, there's this world tracker kind of website that you can go to, and I saw that earlier today, that already in 2021, 3.3 million babies have been aborted. There are laws being passed that will disregard the distinction between man and women. Laws coming that will suppress and censor God's word. That's happening. And we must live with this sense of urgency and alertness and prayer. Oh, folks, would this be be, be filling our lives and our thinking this week? Would we be changed and sobered up? Not just sinking into mindless pleasures, hoping COVID and all of this chaos will one day be gone. Not just looking for mindless pleasure escapes or, 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 or simply denying and just kind of living in, in denial and say, well, let's just make the best of it. No, it's not going to be, and it won't be, and it shouldn't be for us business as usual. Casual Christianity, I believe, it has to end. Either you're hot or you're cold, you're in or you're out, and it's visible or it's vital that, that all of this that we're talking about today produces a desire and a need for purity in our lives and in the body of Christ. A soberness and a seriousness that we would be found pure on the day of his return or the day that he calls us home. And, and, and it's about being busy. Oh, we're busy all right. Way too busy to be able to, to serve others and, and to help others. We're busy in our own lives, yes. But busy about the Lord's work with an urgency to warn, to tell, and to serve others. Later on in, in 1 Peter, in the verses following, he, Peter tells us how we are to live and to act and react to one another. But we are to come alongside the afraid, the discouraged, the confused, the spiritual infants. A man that I greatly respect and, and uh, com- kind of chat with, whether in person um, or through texting from time to time, he texted me this past week. And I just love his heart, and, and I just love his walk with the Lord and how the Lord is growing and stretching him. And, and he texted this to me, and I thought I'd share it with you. And he said, although the events are concerning, talking about the craziness going on in this world, I'm praying and trusting, that the, for, trusting the Lord for great things. People are on edge. They are scared. Materialism and pleasures are fleeting and will continue to offer little comfort or satisfaction as we go down this path. As we know, Jesus is the only answer. Hopefully many turn to God and not to the grave as an atheist like Larry King. He went on to say, he's not an atheist anymore. The church, he went on to say, will make it through this time, but I'm not sure what it will look like because the true church always survives. The bride of Christ is the bride of Christ and she will make it to the end. But who will be a part of it? Of it, he goes on to say, but the church, we don't know what it will look like. Or if it is time for the church to be raptured, that would be great. Come, Lord Jesus. And if not, the church may go through more persecution 
and will be tried as gold as we are seeing in churches that are being persecuted throughout the world. I believe that is a good and important word for us today. Peter says the most rational response to what we are seeing in living in the end days is an urgency and alertness and prayer. And, and I trust that we don't fall into apostasy. We don't fall into false teaching. And prayer is crucial for the believer. Prayer is simply talking to God. What an indescribable privilege we have. Think about it. Wherever I go, at any time, I can open my mouth or in my heart, I can be engaged with the God that created the universe and made me. With the God who loved me so much that he sent his only son to this earth to die on the cross for my sin. And by choosing to trust him and confess my sin and turn from my agenda and make him my Lord and my Savior, I can have 24-7 access. I mean, I can't always get my wife on the phone. I mean, sometimes that's not very easy. I can't get the prime minister. I can't get the premier. I can't get the mayor. I can't get any of them on the phone. I, no matter how hard you try on any of these, these kind of things, it's very unlikely that you will. But I have access to the God of the universe, to the God who created me, who loves me, who knows everything about me, to the God who has all the details of my life and death ordained, to the God who is not shocked or surprised by what, and, by, by what is going on in this world, but instead he has an appointed end to this old, troubled, tired earth. We can talk to God. And it's not about, prayer is not about eloquence. It's not about saying the right words. It's not about the right length of a prayer. There's some amazing prayers in the Word of God. People like Nehemiah. People like Daniel. People like the Apostle Paul. People like Jesus prayed some pretty awesome prayers. And yet some of the most precious, because they flow from desperate, humble, hurting hearts, are some of the shortest prayers. I like the prayer of the tax collector who after hearing the fancy prayer of the proud Pharisee who prayed seven words that got to the heart of God. Seven words, God, be gracious to me, a sinner. Or Peter, as he was drowning, as he was sinking, taking his eyes off of Jesus, what did he say? Three words, Lord, help me. One of the shortest prayers in the Bible, yet the most powerful, and it was answered. Or the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. Nine-word prayer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Folks, no matter what happens in our life, no matter what happens in this world with Christ, with Christ being surrendered to him, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, then we do not need to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. And so God, even now, as we see the chaos in our world, as we experience even chaos and confusion, even in our family relationships, in our relationships at work, relationships even with brothers and sisters in Christ, May we all live with a sense of urgency, with an alertness and a growing, deepening life that is surrendered to you, and a growing, deepening prayer life. God, that we would deal with and repent and surrender to you 
anything or anyone that is keeping us from thinking clearly and praying faithfully. God, would we reorganize our timetable, our work schedule, to be able to meet with you in prayer, to meet with, with God's family in prayer? Would we pray bold prayers filled with faith because they're not coming from us, but your spirit is leading and guiding us as we pray and as we seek your face? Thank you for the indescribable privilege of prayer. And God, would you be calling us all to a deeper and deeper communion with you? May we be faithful until you return or until you call us home. May we be busy about your work in the gospel, looking at people who are freaked out, who are afraid, who are being misled or distracted, letting them know that there's a Savior that loves and cares for them. And God, we know that you, because of who you are, you will be faithful. You were faithful then to your servants. You were faithful to your disciples. You were faithful to your followers in the past. You were faithful to the church in Asia Minor, to those churches that were suffering great persecution and trouble and difficulty. You were faithful then. And God, we pray that once again you would be faithful. We know you will be. Would we faithfully and humbly come to you in prayer and seeking you this week? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.